Hello and welcome to the weekly Bundaberg Now podcast. I'm Dana McGrackis from Bundaberg Regional Council and today we have another interesting program with news and information from across the Bundaberg region. Soon we'll hear about e-services at the library, discover 10 popular rides around the region, learn about Council's regulatory services team and also hear about the Cochrane Artificial Reef. But first, here's Michael Gorey with the news headlines. The Bundaberg Regional Council budget reveals a $2.8 million fall in revenue due to COVID-19 reducing income from the Bundaberg Airport, holiday parks and venues. Despite this, Council is forging ahead with $83 million in capital works and the general rate is being reduced for nearly all ratepayers. Here is Mayor Jack Dempsey. Council has adopted a responsible budget for difficult times. Despite losing $2.8 million in revenue due to COVID-19, the budget offers relief to struggling householders and stimulates the economy without increasing debt. There's $83 million in capital works to create jobs and improve infrastructure. Some of the major capital projects include $12.6 million to finish the Gregory River water treatment plant and $3.32 million to improve the Bundaberg Recreational Precinct and over $850,000 to upgrade Bachelors Road. Finance Portfolio Spokesman Councillor Steve Cooper says the budget provides financial relief and economic stimulus. I'm pleased to be able to announce today that over the overwhelming majority of Bundaberg Regional Council ratepayers will see no increase in their rates for 2020-21. This means that some 42,037 ratepayers will see no change or a reduction in their general rates this year. The other great news is that there is a zero increase in water access and consumption charges. The pensioner discount remains at $165 which benefits more than 10,166 ratepayers at a cost of $1.7 million. As a pandemic relief measure, we are extending the period before interest penalties apply to the 1st of January 2021. The budget includes $443,000 for surf life-saving Queensland to patrol Bundaberg region beaches. Julie Davis says the funding ensures public safety and provides employment. Oh, look, it's fantastic. It just shows the great relationship that we've got with the Bundaberg Council. You know, 27 years we've been in partnership and it's great, um, as well as having our beaches covered, you know, it gives a handful of um, young lifeguards uh, work over those peak periods as well. But more so just to keep, you know, the general public safe and the tourists who come to our lovely area safe when they come down to the beach, gives them a safe place to swim and someone to talk to if they need any advice. In other news, Council this week approved a tavern and bottle shop development next to the Bagara Central Shopping Centre. The proposed tavern will feature a sports bar, bistro, gaming area, kitchen and other amenities. For more local news, visit BundabergNow.com. Back to you, Dana. Thanks, Michael. Now, I'll hand over to Stephen from Bundaberg Regional Libraries, who's going to chat to us about e-services. Hi, I'm Stephen Harris, Information Services Librarian. I'm going to talk about two of my favourite e-services that we offer at the library, neither of which has anything to do with books. The first one is Canopy. Now, this is an on-demand streaming video platform for public libraries. It's like Netflix, but you don't have to pay for it. It's got heaps of movies and documentaries, and all you have to do is log in with your library membership. 
As a point of interest, Canopy started in a garage in Western Australia. Its main office is now in San Francisco, California. Canopy has a fascinating film collection, including world cinema, Australian, drama, comedy, action, romance, and my two favourites, science fiction and horror. New films get added all the time, and they have round about 28,000 movies in total. At the library, we even have a film club collaboration with Moncrief Entertainment Centre, and we discuss films online once a fortnight. It's open to everybody, so keep an eye out on our Facebook page for future events. They can get pretty lively. The other e-service I want to talk about is Freegal. So Freegal is a music service that lets you download songs for free. There's hundreds of thousands of songs, both old and new, on the platform. They also have a wide variety of genres to browse and explore. There's R&B, pop, rock, alternative and indie, classic, country, experimental, you name it, it is there. You can find good old favourites like Bruce Springsteen to more adventurous tastes such as indie rock band Built to Spill, who I saw a couple of years back and they were absolutely awesome. So if you've got an interest in music, jump onto the library's website and check out Freegal and Canopy. Until next time, it's bye from me. Thank you, Stephen. Now, here's Rowana and Rain to tell us about popular rides from across the region. Hi everyone, it's Rowana O'Neill, Coordinator Communication and Engagement, speaking with Rain Juster from Sport and Recreation about some of the region's most 10 popular rides. Hi Rain, how are you going? Good row, yourself? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me here today. Tell us about some of the rides that um, families can get into over the school holidays. Alrighty, well look what I've got here today is um, our little Z card brochure which essentially is uh, 10 popular rides in the Bundaberg region. Um, the beauty of this little um, map here is it's about the size of a pack of cards, slips in your pocket, but it's also got a, um, a huge range of uh, rides um, with information around the region all on display. So you can fold it out, have a good look where you want to cycle uh, around the region um, and then slip it back in your pocket when you're riding. It's, um, it's nice and convenient. And how did the rides brochure come about? Alrighty, so several years ago... Um, Bundaberg Regional Council formulated a, uh, a reference group, uh, and from that, uh, the primary role of that reference group, which is made up of some local cycling groups such as the Mad Psychologists, Coral Isle Cyclists, the Garrick Triathlon Club, uh, and the Mountain Bike Club, um, is to implement aspects of the regional uh, plans and strategies associated with cycling, um, while also promoting cycle safety and education of all the road users and as a liaison group to relevant sport, recreation groups, associations, schools and individuals. And so with the school holidays coming up, and I know you have a young family yourself, can you talk to us about how accessible these rides are? Yeah, 100%. So, look, number nine out of the ten rides is probably my my pick as far as having young kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, It takes in the beautiful scenery from Burnet Heads through Mon Repose, uh, roll on the Bagara foreshore. Um, look, the 10 rides, I guess, are a taste of what is available in the region. Um, that particular ride is around about 12, 13 k's, which uh, my young fellow, who's aged four, with his tiny little push bike, went <laughs> up and back, uh, no problems. 
Um, whereas, you know, some of the other rides, you know, for the more you know, cycling enthusiasts can cycle up to 50Ks um, around different areas of the region. And that they take in, you know, like views of like the Hummock, um, Botanic Gardens, um, all your coastal regions from Burnett Heads down to Coona Beach. Um, yeah, so some, some lovely aspects of the region on display. Brian, can you tell us whereabouts can people pick the brochure up from? Yeah, so we have the brochure available in our visitor centres and our information centres uh, and also over here at the North Depot um, at our front counter as well. So there's plenty available, uh, so we're not, we're not planning on running out of them in the, in the near future. And can people download this from the website? They sure can. If you head to our main BRC website, type in Sport and Recreation. Um, I think it's about the third tab down, you'll see Walk and Cycle. Click on that, and at the bottom of that page is our download um, button for, for the brochure, which you can print out. So this is great. It sounds like there's quite a variety of levels, so you don't have to worry if you're not that experienced, but if you are more experienced, this is also a brochure that would be good for you. And can you tell us about some of the work that's been happening to improve the pathways and cycling areas? Yeah, sure. So funding for these types of things come under two state uh, funding programs, which is the Work for Queensland, state government, and also the Cycle Network and Local Government Grant Program. Uh, and you'll notice around the region uh, the, the shoulder of the roads are looking a lot more friendly now for, for cycling. Uh, there's some green highlighted areas and um, stencil marking for push bikes, which uh, it's all about that road safety. So making kids uh, who are transitioning from a footpath environment onto the road, uh, that road users in cars and bicycles sort of work together a little, more, a little bit more harmoniously. Um, and, that's, and that's what it's all about. We want to get people out using their bikes more. Great. Well, thank you, Rain, for telling us everything we need to know about cycling. Thanks, guys. I'm joined by Brian Campbell from Council's Regulatory Services to chat about the work that his team does. So, Brian, what is your role and what does it involve? So, so my role, uh, as it stands at the moment, is currently evolving. Um, things are changing within the department. But um, my current role at the moment is I supervise a team of 12, and that includes um, the parking department, who deals with regulated parking. Uh, I have one local law officer, um, and she deals with things like uh, overgrowns and visual amenity, you know, accumulation of waste, all that kind of stuff. And then I have a team of eight staff uh, in the animal management department. And their role, well, that sort of speaks for itself. So uh, They deal with a lot of our day-to-day animal management complaints. It ranges from dog attacks through to barking, through to unregistered dogs, uh, enclosures, animal enclosures, wandering cats, wandering dogs, as well as um, guinea fowl, horses, cattle. So, yeah, there's a lot going on in the department, so... Wow. So it sounds like regulatory services encompasses so many things. Do you find that people within the community have misconceptions about your role and what your team do? Oh, absolutely. We come across it pretty much every day. Um, Things like we were just discussing the cat thing. So people think that um, cats should just be allowed to roam. And the misconception there is we can't deal with it, we can't touch it. But what we do, we trap cats, whether they be feral cats or domestic cats. And we will impound them, and there is a cost there involved for the owners. Other misconceptions is that the council um, just willy-nilly go in and steal dogs out of yards. That's one of the oldest ones. Look, we have a lot of lot of work to do. We've probably about ten thousand complaints a year, and yeah, we're not, we don't go out there creating work for ourselves. So yeah. If you could tell listeners one thing about what you and your team do, what would it be? The team as a whole 
we like to think that we, we're there to educate the public on the keeping uh, or the responsible keeping of uh, domestic animals. It range from cats, dogs, horses, cows, they're all classed as domestic animals. Um, and it's really important that council have these local laws and it's there for public safety, it's there for the animal safety. We don't want to go in there and wield a big stick, so to speak, but now and again, we have some serious dog attacks. They're, they're not the prettiest thing when you go into a tent. Mm-hmm. And these are the kind of things that we try to prevent. So we, we, hopefully by educating the public, our preferred option is we'll go in there, we'll work with them, we'll discuss it, we'll see what solutions we can help with. You know, we can assist them, give them some tips and ideas on how to address AI, the barking compliance what needs to be done to fix the enclosure to stop the dog from escaping, Um, things like the cats, you know, building um, outside enclosures for cats, but still having them come and go in and out the house, that kind of thing. So, you know, we we, we do a lot of educational stuff. We don't just go in there and start issuing fines. And there's a whole lot involved there, but it's all all, um, evolves around education, educating the public. We want you to have a great... Um, relationship with your animal and, and for you to do that it's really important that you you abide by the local laws um, and that they're as I say I've always said they're there to uh, for the animal safety and for the public safety as well. And finally what is your favourite thing about your job? My favourite thing I think is is getting the results at the end of the day I think it's, it's, it's a challenging role um, we get a lot of threats we get a lot of abuse but at the end of the day if we for, for barking dogs example if we get um, that result at the end of the day where the owner has taken on board the advice we've given them uh, and it's reduced that barking then th- there's a result that's the most rewarding thing I think is getting that and, and, and the guys come, come into the office and you know they get really excited because they've, they've got a result yeah, they've really done something and they will feel really proud about it so that's good Thank you for joining me Brian and for educating us about what your team does To finish today I'll hand over to Paul Donaldson to chat about the Cochrane Artificial Reef. Hi, I'm Paul Donaldson, and uh, we're here talking to Alan and Brenda Cochrane, who spearheaded the Cochrane Artificial Reef. It started back in 1987. Brenda, Alan, thanks for joining us. Tell us a bit about the Artificial Reef. What prompted it? And talk us through the beginning of the reef itself. The beginning, ironically enough, happened on one of our... um, wedding anniversaries and uh, we didn't particularly want the jobs but my I ended up chairman, my wife ended up secretary. At a public meeting. At a public meeting we were elected. The old joke with Brenda is we were the treasury too because we didn't have any money. Um, so it took five years for Brenda here to do the paperwork and get a, um, a permit. Mm. Well, the reason why it was started was because there was a lot of talk around the around the town that um, stocks uh, supplies along the coast were diminishing, Fish stocks, yeah. and um, people kept talking about we should be doing something about it, and so hence this public meeting was called, and it was uh, recreational fishers and um, professionals and divers, and it all started there. So that was in um, as Alan said on our anniversary in 1987. Um, and then it took five years and once we got the one permit we were ecstatic but then found out that we didn't only need a federal permit we then needed a state permit and they had just declared a marine park at the park at the area that we had designated and so then we had to there was more paperwork more lobbying 
Uh, and through all of this, we had to liaise with the commercial fishermen because they didn't want us um, uh, encroaching, disrupting. Encroaching mainly on our, um, their trawl on, areas. On their trawling areas. So we came to this compromise and after five long years, we then got the permit. The fee was waived, but we were under a lot of restriction um, by a lot of government departments. And so we had it was to, a mammoth task. And we had to abide by the London Dumping Accord, uh, which in and of itself is a, a fair sort of a stretch, isn't it, Brenda? Mm. Uh, plus, uh, we had to apply to send maps to the Navy done by a qualified surveyor, surveyor uh, to Queensland Parks and Wildlife, uh, various federal bodies, etc. So I got a lot of the praise because I did a lot of the diving and retrieve unexploded ordnance. But this lady here, it was a seven day a week starting at 3.30 in the morning sometimes and ending at the same the next morning, wasn't it, Brent? Once the ball started, and, and we kept saying, when we were trying to get the permit, we kept saying, oh, this is taking too long, and people would come to meetings and then leave. Disheartened. Disheartened. But we got to the stage where um, we couldn't give it up because we'd put too much time and effort into it. And then we then once we did get the permit, then we started getting inquiries from around Australia. Other people wanted to know how did we get the permit because they wanted to do the same thing. But as Alan said, then we started to look for, for material to deploy. And then once we had a deployment, we had to write to all these government departments um, notifying them that it was going to take place. Well, then we'd be up at three o'clock in the morning. The weather forecast would be, yeah, it's great. We'd get down to the coast and, and we'd have to pull the pin because the weather wasn't favourable. And then I'd have to notify all these departments again that it didn't take place and say so it was just a mammoth paperwork task. But, you know, once we, once we got these things down, it was an absolute the, jubilation. Everybody was yes, so ecstatic. Yes. It was great. And Bundaberg people have been absolutely fantastic and they welcome divers and fishermen, etc. Uh, seeing the results uh, of... I've seen a, a girl become a marine biologist because we took her out at a deployment. Another girl was uh, working locally uh, in the dive shop, got her instructor's rating. Whoopee, beautiful stuff. Thanks, Alan and Brenda. It's really interesting to hear about the background behind the artificial reef. Next week, we're going to continue and dive further into the reef and uh, talk about the items um, that are down there that create the artificial reef. That's all we have for today. We hope you enjoyed the program. Join us next week for more news and stories from the wonderful Bundaberg region. Bye for now.